the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Everybody. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, you can find us online at 1160hope.com. And uh, you can also find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. And uh, thank you in advance or for all of you who podcast. And we are, we are grateful. Every time we hear that, uh, it's always nice to go, oh, you listen to the podcast. That's great. And uh, I had a friend the other day send me a picture of his, you know, like um, on the newer cars, when you're listening to a podcast, it'll be like on your display screen. Like a, mm-hmm. He's like, look, and took a picture of us like we were staring at him right there on while, his TV. While, on his while he was driving, Brian? I'm, I'm sure he was stopped. Oh, like phew. in a parking lot, probably parking phew. brake on. Oh, okay. And ready Flashers to go. on, <laughs> cone set Just out taking on the, the picture. <laughs> I actually talked to someone. Sorry, this is off subject. I talked to somebody, although we haven't started a subject. <laughs> I talked to someone the other like day. Like how you're interrupting yourself. Yep. I talked to someone the other day who got a ticket. <laughs> Uh, for looking at their phone in the car, but the the officer couldn't see this person looking at their phone, just saw them looking down. Huh. That was interesting to me. Like, at that moment, it feels like you just got to throw your phone and be like, no, I'm doing anything. <laughs> I get that would be dishonest, Brian. And <laughs> I, we I said that on purpose because I knew don't that don't encourage you. dishonesty on this Christian radio station. I thought maybe they need to see you with your phone. I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, wait, so the police officer approached the car and the phone was still on the lap? I don't still? know about that. They oh. said they were kind of like behind, like one back from them at a stoplight. Hmm. Stopped at everything and said, I saw you just staring down. And they got a ticket for that? I believe so. Or at least a warning. I, I, I don't want to. I could be speaking out of turn to say they got the actual ticket, but it was enough to, for the cop to come up. I'm like, no, I wasn't looking down. I was just falling asleep, actually. So, <laughs> is, is so we're, all, we're all good here. We're all good here. Yeah. Is that a ticket? I was just admiring the pattern of my pants. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which I do. So sometimes can, while the car is moving, sometimes while it's like, stopped. wow, look at that denim. That is solid <laughs> denim. This show is off to a great start. Uh, I was, uh, you I'm sure... Uh, aware of this kind of firestorm. Firestorm is probably too big of a word, but uh, this Peloton ad. Uh, I'm, have you seen this ad multiple times? My, multiple times is an understatement. This is the one of the things that confused me. So the Peloton ad, for those of you who don't know the story, it is this wife who is given a Peloton bike by her husband for Christmas. It's another one of those Christmas um, commercials. Most people are getting cars and trucks for Christmas on commercials. Most people? this On, on the Christmas commercials, oh, yes. Oh. Uh, but this one, she got a Peloton bike. She's super excited. And then it kind of like in two minutes kind of follows her journey of like building community with the Peloton people. She mm. looks scared at times. They they congratulate her. This is your 100th ride, whatever. And it's it's kind of like an infomercial, a commercial for Peloton. 
And I had probably seen this commercial for like three weeks before there was any backlash on it. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, it wasn't like the immediately when it came out. But once there was this backlash online, it like went like wildfire to the point that the girl from the Peloton ad, uh, A, on the good side, has been given more uh, more work because of it. But also, like, she was on the Today Show the other day explaining it and all those stuff. So was her co-host. Or the co-host. Her co-star. Oh, was commercial. he? Yeah. Okay, yeah. like the husband in it? Uh-huh. Uh, and so uh, the, this, there's a couple different angles I want to go down. But first, were you surprised that there was this backlash to it? Because there was a lot of stuff about her, like, you don't look like you needed this. Or you, you know, oh, this is some sort of shaming or whatever. Uh, it was all really weird. You're shaking your head that you weren't surprised at all. Why not? I'm not surprised by any outrage ever anymore. It's a blanket statement. <laughs> if someone's outraged and someone's like, can you believe they're outraged? I just say, yes. That's everyone's, awesome. Everyone's mad about something. I was just listening to a, uh, a Hidden Brain podcast called, what do they call it? Screaming into the Void. And they're talking about outrage culture and why our brains are kind of predisposed to kind of be drawn to it. And some of our innate wiring to want to see people punished even if like it was a really fascinating podcast about some of the neuroscience behind why this is a thing but i wish i could say i was surprised because there is part of me that's like okay one more thing that everyone's mad about yep but uh i am not surprised so twitter users said called everything from creepy to disturbing and cringeworthy while some implied it was sexist and classist because as it follows her her journey she even came out and said it's because of the look with a furrowed brow she gives in one of them that that people were we're reading into it, but um, this whole concept, I'm, I know we've talked about it a million times, but this whole concept of outrage culture where they then felt like they had to come out and apologize uh, about their commercial and do this kind of tour. Doesn't it get really tiresome for you? Does it? You just touched on it, but this whole outrage culture. I mean, this got crazy. This was yeah. like all over the Internet. I was surprised. I was like, I thought it was kind of a dumb commercial, but it was sure. like. That people got so worked up about. I know you just said it doesn't surprise you, but I think deep down it's got to be like, man, that's aggravating. Like, who have we become that this uh, that I, something like this would be so aggravating? Yeah, I don't go to aggravation because I think that you and I as as white males need to at least be cautious, I think, whenever we say something is just absurd or just outrageous. Because the concern was – and I I would go a little further. You said you thought the commercial was awkward. I thought it was – a little unnerving. Not, really? Yeah, I, I legitimately did. And so you and I, you know, have, at the very least, I think need to be cautious whenever the outrage is linked to something really, really serious. So part of what the outcry wasn't that, like, oh, she's already thin, she doesn't need a bike. Some of it was like, oh, these these are depicting scenes of, like, some subtle kind of abuse, and, and normalizing that can be really dangerous. Part of people's concern there, whether or not we see it as straight white men, I don't. I want to be careful not to discredit that there might not be even unintentionally nods or indicators of some kind of context that you and I are very unfamiliar mm. with that could be possibly triggering or unhelpful at the very least. So, like at the end of the day, I don't think I don't think the you know Peloton was trying to like make a statement. I think it was yeah. truly accidental, but. And I think also maybe the outrage probably went too far. I think they're, they're you're saying both, you played into something deeper that 
I think that's part of what it. I think that's why it grew into what it was because people who have been on the receiving end of very intentional manipulative relationships are like, no, I'm seeing something here that I recognize yeah, in my previous boyfriend, and this is why that's problematic because it is kind of giving a subtle nod to some mm. of the quiet desperation that people themselves have felt. Now, is that any? Is that the advertising company's fault? Is that the Exercise bike companies' fault sure. or not? That's a whole different discussion. But you know, I want to be careful okay. to not just say, "Well, that means nothing to me," so that's clearly stupid. You know what I mean? That, that yeah. doesn't seem like a helpful way forward either. Can we at least agree, though? The clearly stupid thing at Christmas time is all of the commercials of people buying multiple trucks for their spouses. That's not new, though. That's been. Doesn't it feel like more though? No, it doesn't to me. But maybe it is. I feel like as long as we've had television commercials, sp- spouses have bought themselves. Vehicles without any prior conversation, by the way. Like, can you imagine if you showed up? Would your wife be amped, or would she be like, "We should have talked about this. This is a forty thousand dollars car." Exactly. Uh, I just love the one commercial where it's like, "I got one for each of us." Okay, <laughs> cool. Let's go talk to our banker. <laughs> we awesome. did not plan on any of this. Well, we love your reaction to the ad. I think Ian brought up some great points that I hadn't thought of. That's why we talk about these things because um, some angles there. But we'd love to hear it. Uh, your feedback at Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, we're going to discuss an article from Medium.com that is titled this, I'm a 37-year-old mom, and I spent seven days online as an 11-year-old girl. Here's what I learned. I think this is going to be fascinating and I think terrifying. Yeah. That is what we're going to talk about next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Back to the Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review, uh, and uh, we are grateful to those who do that. Before we jump into this next story, uh, let me remind you about a partner of ours here at AM 1160, a partner called Food for the Poor. Food for the Poor is doing unbelievable work trying to help get food for a year and water for life to as many families as possible uh, to help deal with the humanitarian crisis in the nation of Haiti. Haiti is in the midst of a humanitarian crisis that is beyond that which that many of us could even fathom. And uh, because of that, whole families are without food. They are without electricity. They are without water. And what Food for the Poor does is for simply $27 a month, that's $320 for the entire year, that will provide food for a year and water for life for one family. Uh, Again, $27 a month, $320 for the year. Food for a year and water for life uh, for one family. We here at The Common Good and at AM 1160 are trying to get 36 families taken care of, and we are almost there, and we would love your help pushing it over the finish line. So what are we asking you to do? Go ahead and call 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-4673. You can make any gift as small or as large as you are able and want to this Christmas season, and all of that money will go to helping families who are in need. Or you could go online to 1160hope.com. There is a very obvious banner there for you to click on. That's 1160hope.com. Click on that banner uh, and go ahead and help save some families. So again, uh, $320 for a year. That comes out to $27 a month. Less than a dollar a day will provide food for a year and water for life for an entire family of four in Haiti. So in advance, we we are grateful and thank you for helping. uh, And we are excited here to partner with food for the poor. Uh, We talked about at medium.com. 
Uh, this title article, and man, this article was really hard to read. It's called, I'm a 37-year-old mom, and I spent seven days online as an 11-year-old girl. Uh, here is what I learned. And I was almost in tears reading some of this. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give us a little synopsis? It's a pretty long article. Yeah, I don't even know that I can give more than just the synopsis. Yes. The content is really intense. And the the, the premise, I had a couple people actually send this to me saying, I'd really be curious to know how you guys deal with this story. Um, and as someone with, you know, two young kids and your, mm-hmm. your kids are a little older, yep. I, I imagine, though, like reading this should break anyone's heart mm-hmm. and probably boil their blood. Yep. But it's it's exactly what the headline implies. It's uh, it's a woman, a 37 year old mom with sort of a, a team of people that are kind of helping her accomplish this sort of like social media infiltration to just honestly kind of see what some of the reactions are. She poses as this uh, 11-year-old girl, and she's kind of going uh, into some chat rooms where she knows some of these conversations might take place. And I, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm reading some of these interactions, and it is I – mean, you can, maybe you can hear it in my voice. It's like it's bringing me close to tears for so many reasons. But the 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 motivation behind this – experiment in the first place i imagine is to expose how yes. big of an issue this is yes. right so a 37 year old mom who apparently has motivation enough to say hey i don't think we realize just how pervasive this is or how big an issue this is or how intense it is like i there's things that i'm reading here and i'm like i can't even i can't even wrap my brain around yeah. like that's yeah. what's so heartbreaking and maybe that's naive of me you know because like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a far cry away from the days of chat rooms and all that yes. stuff, and you know, like it. I gosh, it is, it is really, really dark and really, really um, hard to read. But here's part of how the the article ends. Uh, she says, knowing the pervasiveness of um, predation, predation is that right? On I the, think so. Yeah. On the internet, isn't a burden. Not really. It's a gift. One that helps us turn the tables on abusers. Our work has resulted in arrest of people who have shown the propensity and willingness to harm children. So I, I do want to say that they're, you know, they're doing this yeah. uh, with some kind of objective, right? It's not just yes. to write an article; yes. it's to actually help, you know, bring some of these people to justice. But my goodness, man, what a, what an absolutely gut wrenching story this one is. Do you remember back uh, 10 years ago or so, there was that uh, show on NBC all the time to catch a predator. Uh-huh, this kind of yeah. feels like the next version of it. And uh, as a dad, I, I described myself to you on the, uh, I think it was during the show yesterday, uh, sometimes just naively optimistic. And these are where I get scared that, that naiveness will end up, you know, mm. uh, uh, causing damage because, man, this is so uh this is every parent's worst nightmare. It's every parent's right. worst nightmare uh, to have something happening to your child, uh, psychologically, physically, whatever else it might be, uh, that you're just not aware of. Hmm. And at the age of 11, which is right where I've got some kids in my own family, right. to see that there are people out there, um, just sick and demented people uh, preying upon these types of kids. Right, uh, man, I, you couldn't give them enough penalty in my life. But, but it really raises the bar for me or for all of us listening as parents to go. Uh, what do you do with this? How do you protect your kids? How do you teach your kids? But also. Do you even let them online? Like, we don't let our kids get online apart from us. 
uh, from our ability to know what they're doing. But even that's not perfect because kids are smarter than parents these days on navigating the Internet. Right. Uh, so even that's not foolproof. First part of this. Uh, part of me, like I read the article and the best thing that comes at it for me is like, all right, I've got to be extra vigilant, just extra vigilant right. for the sake of my daughters and my son. Well, and, and so you mentioned the uh, the show to catch a predator. That That's what I think is so important about this article is because that show's not that old, right? How no. old? 15, 10, 10, I would 10 guess. years old. Yeah. So even 10 years ago, the, the vast majority of these encounters happen in person, right? That's where they catch them is in person. And the author goes on to, to kind of explain what's maybe – Obvious, but uh, it says the brutal reality is that a predator doesn't have to be in the same room, building, or even country to abuse a child. Yep. And that's what they're doing, subjecting children to psychological and sexual abuse. Mm. That, again, our hope isn't just to share this story and get everyone freaked out. My assumption is a lot of people are, are at least aware of this, but like having important conversations around safety and diligence because the whole story ends with this mom who you know has had been posing as an 11 year old she's like but i'm not normally that but i'm you know a 37 year old mom in wool socks and i'm loading the dishwasher <laughs> and my <laughs> daughter's at the table and she's doing an assignment and she says mom do you do you agree that ignorance is bliss yeah and she kind of depicts like i pulled up a chair next to her and said absolutely not honey it's yep. a gift and i think knowing these things uh, at the very least is i think helpful to finding more and more solutions but like you said a predator a whole show based around predatory behavior even 10 years ago required yeah. some sort of like all right i'll meet you at your house and yeah. now it's happening in absolutely catastrophic ways like the author saying without even having to be in the same country that requires a whole new level of diligence and i would say prayer oh it's a good point and you know for for parents out there you know, you think about it like we're really careful about letting our kids walk to the park by themselves. Right. Or right. We very careful. We we don't want to put them in situations where they could come face to face with somebody who wants to do them harm. Right. And that's very appropriate. Right. I think we need to view the Internet in the same way. We need to figure out uh, how do I protect my kids? How do I uh, educate my kids. What is what is natural growth look like right. between my 16 year old versus my 10 year old? Right. What does that look like? But ignorance or just putting your head in the sand is not an option when it comes to this because it's our kids uh, who are um, it, it's their it's their well being that is at stake here. And well, so and maybe it's a conversation for another time. But somebody sent me a tweet where they said, "Hey, we don't like kids smoke till they're 18, yeah. right? Yeah. Maybe it's 16 now. Like, what if what if we had the same level of caution with phones and technology and social media like that's to me that's a really that's a fascinating conversation yes it is so that's uh coming up next here on the common good we're going to talk about one of the most famous atheists in the world that being richard dawkins we're going to discuss uh something about him next on the common good am 1160 hope for your life Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, we are grateful uh, to everybody who does that. And uh, before we jump into this next article about Richard Dawkins, let me tell you about my pillow because we have an exclusive offer for our listeners just in time for the holidays. Uh, if you buy a set of Giza cotton sheets from my pillow, you get the second set free. 
That's two for one. And not only that, but you'll get free shipping. If you add anything else to your order, like my pillows or mattress toppers or towels or anything, those items will ship free as well. Common good listeners can get deep discounts on all my pillow products, but you have to use the promo code WYLL. Uh, over the last couple of months, my wife and I, uh, we've had the pleasure of having uh, my pillow towels, uh, pillows, sheets, the Giza sheets, all of which uh, have been a great upgrade for us. I couldn't encourage you enough to go ahead and get some for yourselves. So all of these products have a 60 day money back guarantee and a 10 year warranty. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Specials box, and get two sets of Giza cotton sheets for the price of one, plus free shipping on your entire order. That's MyPillow.com. Click the Radio Specials box, enter promo code WYLL, or call 800-489-0201. That's MyPillow.com, promo code WYLL. All right, Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is one of the most well-known atheists out there, I believe, correct? And uh, there was an article we read in Christian Today, not Christianity Today, uh, Christian Today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? All right, I'll just read some of the beginning of that, all right? I'd love it. Just how often you would love it? I would love it. That means a lot, Brian. Thanks. There you go. There there you go. That's like one of your, uh, that's one of your, what's the word I'm looking for? Mm, not crutches. It's one of your fallbacks. Fallbacks. Uh, That's where. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there it is. I just dropped something. All right. Here we go. Uh, how often have you heard an unbeliever play their trump card? You don't have to be a Christian to be a good person. The assumption being that they are strong, independent people who don't need anyone's help, especially not Jesus. Uh, above all, they aren't Christians. And how dare you imply they aren't good? This seemingly absolves them from the need to consider the claims of Christ. There is a partial challenge to the unbeliever's statement from the most unlikely source. Richard Dawkins has achieved worldwide fame, not to say notoriety, for his relentless campaign against theism. He is well known for making, like other atheists, statements such as sending children to Sunday school is a form of child abuse. Mm. But in an article in The Times, Dawkins said he feared that if religion were abolished, it would, quote, give people a license to do really bad things. Mm. He is of the opinion that security camera surveillance of customers and shops appears to deter shoplifting, adding that people might feel free to do wrong without a, quote, divine spy camera in the sky reading their every thought. He said people may feel free to do bad things because they feel God is no longer watching them. I'm wondering, just Mm. I'll stop there. Are you surprised by that position? Uh, I, uh, yes and no. So I I wouldn't think that he would give that sort of credit to Christianity, but how he's positioning it it is uh is interesting he's basically saying that we uh people who believe in god uh they uh they are better behaved i'm using air quotes here right they're better behaved which air quotes are bad for radio but uh they are better <laughs> Twice behaved, a day, though <laughs> they are better behaved because they think god is watching them kind of that security camera in the sky like if if you knew that you had a security camera on you you probably wouldn't steal stuff and so Uh, I would say his reasoning is not what we would want to say our reasoning is, but it is interesting and avowed atheist to go, uh, 
you know what? The the idea of God at least probably keeps people re, uh, acting better, even if for what he thinks are illegitimate reasons. Okay, let me. This next part is so interesting. Expanding on his point, Dawkins described an experiment by one of his former pupils, Dr. Melissa Bateson, mm-hmm. professor of ethology at Newcastle University, which involved setting up a coffee station with an honesty box for payments. Okay, so just kind of get yourself there mentally. A coffee station with an honesty box for payments. They help themselves to coffee, and they're supposed to put money in the box, and each week the honesty box takes in less than the amount of coffee taken, Dawkins said. In alternate weeks, the honesty box had a picture above it of some flowers or a picture of a pair of eyes. Professor Bateson reported that when the watchful eyes were on display, the takings were nearly three times higher than when the flowers were on the wall. Which, again, I'm curious if you think that has merit. Are we that? Because I'm thinking of the, um, oh, what's the, it was Halloween time and there was like a doorbell camera and the kid walks up and sees that the bowl that was left out is empty and he actually starts taking candy from his own bag to put it in the bowl uh, as, you know, another younger kid is approaching. Now, that's a kid, so maybe part of what he's the claim he's making is like, yeah, there's the innocence of a child, but when we grow into like terrible, awful adults, yeah. most of us are selfish and inclined to deception. I'm curious if you find the like I flower coffee station analogy helpful at all. I think it is. I mean, just think about yourself, even with your kids as young as they are, uh, but even as my kids get older, like they act one way when your parent, when the parents are there and you're not always confident they're acting the same way when they're not. not yeah, that's not, true. Not nefariously or illegally, but, you know, they maybe uh, and and we've got our kids have gotten to the age where we leave them home by themselves with each other. And you're always like, oh, I hope this goes well with them, because um, I think there's something to be said. I think there's something to be said that uh, that there are a large number of people who uh, whose actions are determined by the fact that God is watching me. Right, the goddess, and so I don't think he's wrong uh, in the watchful eyes looking over the box of how much money you give. Yeah, that's pretty telling. Like, it doesn't matter for me to say I believe it or don't believe it. She's got the empirical data that says the giving went up three times. Like, that's a that's a that's a big amount right there. Well, and I think it's it's empirical insofar as this test or experiment yes. is concerned, um, but it isn't all encompassing either. Like, he goes on to say, um, he says, I must. Say, I hate the idea of a lifelong anti, as a lifelong anti-God campaigner. I want to believe that humans are better than that. I'd like to believe that I'm honest, whether anyone is watching or not. Um, But Dawkins rightly said the great spy camera theory isn't a good reason to believe in God. But nevertheless, he acknowledges that it benefits the world. Referencing a society that affirms God's existence, he wrote, it might bring the crime rate down. Hmm. So it's a pretty utilitarian way of thinking about it, right? But it is also, we've certainly had conversations with people who were maybe handed a version of a overly punitive God that's created all sorts of other dysfunction. So they may be, quote unquote, played by the rules, but it led to a lot of like internal turmoil and struggle and fear and self-doubt. And I think, you know, there's certainly other harm that can be caused, I think, by poor theology and a poor teaching of God. But, you know, Dawkins, as a, you know, as a humanist, as an atheist, he's saying, yeah, but I think without it, People would probably act a whole lot worse. Um, I don't know that that sweeping of a statement is even entirely true because, unfortunately, right. we've seen, seen it in the a lot of abuse, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of – and not just like of the sexual nature. That's the obvious, yep. I think, one that most people go to. But abuse of power, abuse of money, abuse of – like, unfortunately, the, the church uh, in some ways has had a real struggle in that area. So 
I'd be curious to it'd be fun. let's get Dawkins on the show. Let's uh let's, let's have Dawkins. him talk religion for an hour. That'd be a lot of fun. Gosh, would that be crazy? I do think it's important the way the author uh, ends this. He says, however, Dawkins, like other atheists, in his opinion, gets Christianity wrong. We Christians try, however, imperfectly to live a good life, not because we see God as a spy camera or fear that God won't accept us if we do wrong. Instead, we try with his help to live a good life because we know we already do have the love of God who knows just uh, how bad we can be. Christianity is about so much more than being a good person. You don't need to be a Christian to be a good person. And then he adds, but it certainly helps. Like, I think he's trying to add, hmm. whether you agree with it or not, he's trying to add this author's perspective of where they think Dawkins is wrong. The author, whose name, by the way, is actually Campbell Campbell Jack. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. I, we've been avoiding saying it because I've been avoiding saying it because nope. I said that can't be true. Dr. Campbell Campbell Jack is a retired Presbyterian minister. Yes, Campbell Campbell Jack. That's a great name. That's, how, that's what we're getting out of that. It's a great name. <laughs> we would love your uh, feedback on it. Is Dawkins right? Is Campbell Campbell Jack right? Is Are they both a little off and you want to get it in there? Uh, we'd love your opinion. Well, you're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, my name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. We are glad to have you joining us uh, today. You can find us on Facebook. We're laughing because I just looked at Ian and gave him the no sign. Oh, so no? Yes. Okay, got it. <laughs> the look you gave I, me was one of confusion and fear because I did it a little bit too strong. I do, yeah, I looked up and I thought you were like in trouble. Like, call an ambulance. Like, oh, no. All right. So, oh, this is where I wish we were. We had these videos going live right now. Because I'm so people glad we be don't. Like, what did he just do? <laughs> Looks like he was just reading a paper, and then Brian threatened him. I am going to call my bad on that one. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, it's a team effort. Your bad is my bad. Man. At the Gospel Coalition, gospelcoalition.org, we've got a list entitled this, Six Tips for Sharing Christ with Skeptics. And I think a lot of us wrestle with that. Uh, we may have family members. You're getting ready for Christmas. You're going to be with your family. We've got family members. We've got uh, coworkers, whatever else it might be, uh, who are just very skeptical about the faith. They're like, ah, I don't really buy that. And we want to engage them in conversation, but we don't really either. We don't know how to or, quite frankly, we do it in a very bad way <laughs> and we do it poorly. And uh, so the authors here come up with a list that says six tips for sharing Christ with skeptics. What do you before we get into the list? Um, is this something you hear a lot from people? Like, I don't really know how to talk to people. Who oh, like, yeah. I don't believe that. Uh, is it, this is something you hear from people. Yeah, I, I tend to hear a lot of I don't really know how to address their arguments. Yeah. And the other thing I hear a lot is I just try to convince them to come to church. Like, if uh, I can just get them in the door. Which says something good about your church. It's not the answer, but. That's true. What tends to, what I tend to hear a lot is people like, I think if they just met this community, they met the oh, family, cool. people like for them is like, I, I, I think a lot of people feel this way, underqualified to, mm-hmm. you know, respond to thoughtful questions or something that's, you know, like if, uh, if someone's been picking apart one obscure verse for the last 15 years and they don't know how to respond mm-hmm. to it, like if you could just experience the love and community forgiveness that I have, you, you'd be more interested. So that, that, 
that does actually feel pretty good because it feels like, oh, this is a safe place for people to invite skeptical friends. That's awesome. That's cool. So we want to do this list of six. You may not agree with them. We want to hear from you. Uh, you may be like, nope, I thought number three was off or this. This is not gospel. And so we would love to hear your feedback. Why don't you go first on this list of six ways, six tips for sharing Christ with skeptics? All right. It looks like this author, not this author, one, two, three, four, five. Are there five authors yeah, on this I'm, article? I'm confused how this works. My goodness. All right. Anyway, the first thing they present is present truth as knowable. Christians can easily grow intimidated when sharing the gospel with intelligentsia. Yet this shouldn't be the case for when it comes to describing reality, the Christian worldview offers more than most people realize. Consider how to use the basic laws of logic in our everyday conversations. The laws of non-contradiction, non-contradiction for example, uh, is regularly used in evaluating truth claims. Something can't be both true and false at the same time and in the same way. But if you ever considered how a naturalist framework might account for such a law, how can eternal, mindless, and impersonal matter produce logical laws that guide our thought? Mm. This doubt can be tra- traced back to Charles Darwin himself. Oh, interesting. Who questioned whether he could trust his mental thoughts if his brain is merely a product of evolution. He seemed to worry that if nature is all there is, there can be no certainty our brains are aimed at truth or our thoughts reliable. Apologists have consistently exploited this worldview weakness. C.S. Lewis claimed this difficulty for naturalism is a self-contradiction. G.K. Chesterton called it a thought that stops all thought. Only Christianity provides a reasonable explanation for reason itself. Even arguments against God presuppose logical laws that only make sense if there is an eternal, intelligent, personal creator. The Bible makes sense of the world we inhabit and provides a foundation for rational discussion. I see now why there were 17 authors to this article. <laughs> that, was really, that was really meaty. That was only number one. Oh, boy. We're not going to make it in time. We are. Number two, present God as he reveals himself. If we water down our conception of God to make the gospel more palatable, we'll find that in the end, we're no longer doing true evangelism. We're merely marketing a God of our own invention, attempting to woo people with a hazy image of an impotent deity. Uh, Don't dilute God in order to make him more marketable. Don't propagate idolatry. Present the sovereign God of the Bible as the key to understanding the human narrative. This is another one that feels way simpler than it actually is. You know, I think that's what everyone wants to do. I think, yeah. I'll offer my contradicting opinion later. Uh, (laughs) Number three, present Christ as Savior. The human epic is stained by guilt, shame, and regret. Even if some deny the reality of God, they can't functionally deny the existence of guilt. When we declare the gospel to skeptics, we speak to their innate knowledge of God and their sense of moral guilt. But guilt is only a symptom. Sin and separation from God are the true problems and grace the only antidote. Our evangelism of even the smartest skeptics then should begin and end with a simple gospel presentation. You can never improve on Jesus' assertion, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Never abdicate your responsibility to share the good news. Our arguments cannot, in and of themselves, save anyone. Only Jesus can. Number four, present scripture as authoritative. Every book you own will eventually deteriorate except for one. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, in Hebrews 4.12 says. As you share with skeptics, don't relegate scripture to obscurity or peer status, among other sources. You're not God's editor. You're his publicist. Uh, That's interesting. He isn't waiting for your revisions. He's already gone to press. This isn't to say every argument must be a sermon or a Bible commentary, but don't compromise the trustworthiness of the Bible in word or attitude in order to placate a skeptic's objections. As you evangelize, remember where your authority is found. You likely came to faith when someone opened their Bible and shared the gospel with you. Do not doubt that the gospel's power or authority of God's revelation can do the same for those to whom you minister. Are we God's publicists? No. No? I, 
That's just like a pithy phrase that I think, like you said, there's a lot that needs but to be But is it a helpful flustered. category, do you think? Is it, uh, is it more true than not? Maybe. If you put it against, am I God's editor or his publicist? I like publicist oh, well, more than editor. Well, those are the editor. only options. Well, that's what yeah. they, were, uh, they were doing. Yeah. 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 All right. I'll keep going. Number five, present regeneration as necessary. Nearly everyone I've known who's active in evangelism understands the necessity of the spirit to bring about conversion. That's well said. I've never met an apologist who believed his arguments could in and of themselves change someone's heart. I have, however, met many who pray fervently that God will use their meager attempts to help remove some intellectual obstacles. Still, they also pray with equal passion for the spirit to convict with gospel truth. Sharing Christ with anyone, skeptics included, means shining the light of the gospel into the darkness of Satan's domain. If you do it in your own power, you'll fail. Like the Apostle Paul, we should pray for our audience that the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened to see the beauty of the gospel of grace. Without the spirit's work, ours is in vain. Lastly, present yourself as humble. There's nothing worse than an arrogant apologist or an unnecessarily edgy evangelist. I don't care how right he or she might be. The condescension doesn't help. Superior attitude should be remedied by taking seriously the Bible's best known verse about defending the faith. First Peter three fifteen that reads in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy, holy, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. As we present Christian truth, we point others to Jesus, truth and grace incarnate. When Christ is Lord and when we're humble, we found the sweet spot for evangelizing skeptics. When we understand the sovereignty of God, the authority of the Bible and our need of the spirit due to our fallenness, we're well on our way to God honoring evangelism with atheists and agnostics. What do you think of that list? Well, I don't think we have time to get into it. I Maybe another segment we can talk about some of my uh, issues even with the modern use of evangelism or apologetics. I don't know that as a structure I necessarily totally buy it. I'll tell you this, though. I think there's some good nuggets. Yeah. The sentence that I probably most struggle with is um, attempts to remove some intellectual obstacles. I don't think the goal is to remove mm. intellectual obstacles. I think it's meant to engage with people's intelligent questions. Yeah. Um, so sometimes whenever I hear evangelism coupled with how do we remove these barriers? That's a good like that to me feels a little too one to one and maybe not holistic enough for my liking, but that's maybe a segment for another day. We would love to hear your feedback uh, at the Common Good Radio Show. Ian gave it a mostly thumbs up. Uh, a uh, nuggets. We got we got maybe nuggets. a nuggets emoji. Yeah, what, right yeah, there? What's, the, what's the nuggets emoji? <laughs> but we would love, <laughs> just like a fist bump. But we would love to hear your feedback. You can do it at Facebook. Uh, coming up next, Ian referenced a Facebook post the other day. We're just going to talk about it. Let's do it. About banning cigarettes. Why don't we ba- ban cell phones until kids are the age of 18? We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs> Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that 
I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We hope you're having a great Tuesday. Glad to have you joining us today, or you're joining us in the future on our podcast. Wow. That is weird to think about, but you're out there somewhere, it's whatever not, day it is. not that weird. Oh, it's mind-blowing. No. And we're glad that for those of you who podcast, <laughs> maybe you didn't know we have a podcast. You can podcast us anywhere that you get your now podcast. that's mind-blowing. It is. Anywhere you get it. Uh, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. You can also continue the conversation with us, including this next article we're about to, draw, to jump into on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Before we do that, you've got a word for us about Focus on the Family. It's not just a word. It's roughly 68 words. So <laughs> I'm counting. Here we go. I have no idea. I just guessed. I'm really bad at those how many jelly beans in the jar situation. This is the word version of that without a prize. Uh what if $50 could mend a broken marriage, protect the life of a child, or even lead someone to Christ? Your end-of-year donation to Focus on the Family could do all these things and more. Give the gift of family this Christmas, and for a limited time, your donation will be doubled by Friends of the Ministry. Double the gift means double the impact. So give now at 1160hope.com slash family or call 1-800-A-FAMILY right now. <laughs> I like that. Do it. Right now. We're mm-hmm. glad. Uh, we're, we're thankful for Focus on the Family. Go ahead and support them. And uh, There you go. There you go. There. <laughs> so our program director, Marcus Brown, uh, posted a little inside baseball here. We've got a group of people who will send us articles or post stuff. It's not really inside baseball. Uh, what would you say? Okay. It's called a think tank. It is called a think tank. And you started it. And I said, can I be a part of that? (laughs) (laughs) We were like eight months into the show and you're like, can I join? Can I please? I would like to know. But what's great about it is people will send us articles and we'll go, oh, yeah, that would be really good to talk about us. Talk about this. And so Marcus posted this over the weekend with just thoughts, question mark. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let me read it. Sarah, uh, did you say Pulliam? Sarah Pulliam Bailey. Sure. And uh, she posted this on Twitter. It says, sorry, I have a hot take. We ban cigarettes for children until they are 18. Why not cell phones? Parents, in the name of safety, are often putting kids in harm's way, giving them devices that have all kinds of side effects like anxiety. The peer pressure is just bonkers. Let me read that one more time. You might have been, wait, did I hear her say that correctly? Let me read it one more time. We ban cigarettes for children until they are 18. Why not cell phones? Parents in the name of safety, are often putting kids in harm's way, giving them devices that have all kinds of side effects like anxiety. The peer pressure is just bonkers. Ian Simpkins, thoughts? Let's do it. Thoughts? No, let's do it. Why? Because she makes a great point. Keep going. 
That's what, all. I'm what is the point that you agree with here that would allow you to go even all the way to the point of banning cell phones to the age of 18? I think that we, uh, I mean, I obviously don't think cigarettes are healthy. I don't think it's, you know, that's not the point. I think that they are arguably, hmm, I don't know that I can make an argument for that. They are at the same level of dangerous for young people as social media and technology. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with something like technology where smoking is pretty empirically like, hey, smoke into lungs, bad, not smoke into lungs, good. Social media has all sorts of benefits. Technology has all sorts of benefits. There's a lot of good that can come from those things. So I think that's part of why this discussion gets so sticky. I also think that when it comes to like parental regulations from the government about how you should or shouldn't raise your kid, that's obviously problematic for me. So like I imagine if some mandate from on high came down, from the White House, like, hey, from now on, any uh, any parent that allows their kid to have a cell phone before 18 will be prosecuted. I'm like, mm, that's, <laughs> that's probably not great. Time to move to Canada. But I do think that there I, I appreciate how um, how how intense the response has been to this tweet. Yeah. Because I think it does show some of our attachment and some of our borderline idolatry to technology. Mm. Um but as we, you know, we were talking yesterday about some of the horrific dangers of social media technology, and I, I'm, I'm curious why you think we don't actually treat it with the same level of severity as, like, alcohol or cigarettes. So I think that a couple different thoughts. One is, as parents, I don't think we understand yet the dangers of it. Like you said, it's also not, it's not as obvious as cigarettes. It's not as obvious as whatever, you know, uh, drug abuse or whatever else it might be. Um, and I think we're just starting to learn. Now, I do think she completely and she understands. And again, you can't read too much into a tweet. Right? You just get these X number of characters and um, 140 characters. And, you know, you can't say everything you want in it. When she writes parents in the name of safety, like uh, I'm not sure that it would be hard to function with my 16 year old without her having a phone at certain times. Like that's how we connect with each other. Yeah. How we find each other. We don't have a home phone. Uh, she babysits like there are there are things that are have become almost necessary in life to a certain age kid having a phone. Right. Um, and, and I don't want to undersell that, like, um, you know, finding each other. You might be like, well, when we were kids, well, uh, we did a lot of things when we were kids that were just not how the world works now. Um, but with that said, and you, you talked about this, I think we talked either earlier in today's shows or yeah, earlier in today's show about the, uh, the 37 year old mom who acted like an 11 year old just to see what happened on social media. I do think Sarah Bailey here is getting at, uh, uh, whether she actually believes we should be banning it is, is a little bit, uh, not even the discussion. Cause whether you believe there should be government regulation or not, I personally don't, but whether you believe it or not, you can't deny that the, uh, that social media and just our phones and our connectedness to phones and the amount kids are connected is causing things like anxiety and peer pressure. And there's a lot of things that we didn't have to deal with uh, when we were younger. And I, so I do That's think true. that it's unavoidable. The, the actual big takeaway for me about this is not do you regulate or do you not? Like that's kind of the headline of it. But it's like, okay, there are some underlying things that are undeniable. What do you do about it? Right. What do you do about it as a parent, as uh, as just a society? And that's where the conversation becomes really difficult. Because Well, and I think – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm done. Go ahead. You're, you're done? I am. You had like a because – I did say because, and then I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> that is confusing. So Andy, Andy Crouch has uh, – 
has written pretty extensively about sort of the digital family. He's one of the uh, one of the top comments here on her tweet. And he said, 90 percent of the time, parents give kids devices to solve the parents problem, not to solve the kids problem. And in willful disregard for the problems, sleep, anxiety, et cetera, they will create for our kids. Oh, and also because many kids plead for them desperately. Uh, And then Dan White Jr., who we've talked about before with his book, he said, Jonathan hates research on the neurological damage done on adolescent uh, adolescent brains is fascinating and quite convincing. That may not be uh, convincing for everybody, but th- those are the things that I tend to find most motivating yep. when it's like black and white, empirical, like here's what's happening to our kid's brain. We're not telling you what to do, but you have to do something. Like yep. something, when you're faced with those kinds of facts, I think it can be really convicting. So if you go to the actual Twitter account, there's all sorts of articles. There's another article I think we're doing later in the week when sixth graders can access rape porn on their smartphones. Oh. Kind of talking about some of the damage that's uh, inevitable there. Yes. So like the idea of like some of not just the intensely terrible things like that, but just the general desocializing and the anxiety that's producing and all sorts of the comparisons and the things that honestly as adults we still struggle with. I yeah. think um, – Again, the the onus is certainly on the parents. I think maybe a governmental regulation isn't the best way forward, right? But certainly hopeful that this conversation is, you know, some of many voices kind of challenging parents to think about it a little more intently than maybe they have. And Crouch's point there is interesting. Like, because maybe I maybe the reasoning I just gave was more about solving my problem maybe. than my daughter's problem. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and I think that's a valid point. I think. Uh, This horse has left the barn in terms of technology and phones and access. But for for parents out there or anybody to think that teenagers should just have unfettered use of whatever they want at any time, uh, there is a lot of data. And it will only increasingly come out that say it's not good for your kids. And then, you know, you see high school students dealing with anxiety and depression and all this stuff. Right. And it's you. It's not only because of social media, but social media and phone and connecting it certainly plays a part in it. Well, and you need to – I think it's important not to – gosh, I have two children under the age of three. Like, what do I know? But, but you're a youth pastor. You're a pastor. You know <laughs> it. Yeah, it's still different, though. But I think that there's – I think it's an important discussion to talk about how do we help our kids navigate. The, the horses left the barn, like you said. Yep. So to say, hey, we're taking all this away from you. We're moving to the mountains. Like, ah. That might work until they leave the house and then they decide they want to move to a city center. Like, yeah. it can't just be, oh, I'm going to shield you entirely. It has to be, okay, how do I help you navigate this? And then maybe drill down even deeper. Yes. Why is it important to navigate this well? And maybe drill down even deeper. What does formation look like? How do how can we be more mindful of the things that are forming us, yeah. whether we're cognizant of them right now or not? And I think those are really it's great helpful conversations, but they take way more time than just banning. Yeah. You know, just kind of banning things blanketly is easier and cleaner, but I think we really we owe it to our kids to have these conversations to help them navigate a digital age well. Really well put. Really well put. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk to a guy by the name of Tyler Ellis in an in a experiment that he did, uh, plus uh, his talk, his TEDx talk. We're looking forward to talking to Tyler Ellis next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We are excited to be joined on the phone from Fort Worth, Texas, uh, by Tyler Ellis. Tyler is an award-winning author, uh, and he is currently on staff with a nonprofit called Let's Start Talking. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today. You bet. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, first off, just as we get started, just tell us a a little bit about yourself, your career, and this ministry you're a part of. Sure. Yeah, I was a campus minister for almost 15 years, and this past year I joined a nonprofit in Texas called Let's Start Talking, 
as the associate director of Friendspeak. So Friendspeak is where we I train churches and campus ministry how to reach out to our international neighbors, whether they're students at universities or refugees. And we actually set up reading sessions using the Bible to help them improve their English. So it's really amazing. We're hoping it'll spread. It's a 40-year-old ministry, but it helps Christians share their faith, and it meets a need by helping people improve their English, which could really change their life. That's cool. That's fantastic. So you also gave a a TEDx talk. Could you talk to us a little bit more about that? Because it says that you also interviewed a bunch of people, and those conversations led to some pretty unexpected discoveries. Can you tell us about those conversations and your talk overall a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Back in October, I was blessed to to do this TEDx talk, which is pretty rare for a religious-oriented team. And so, yeah, it appealed back to my campus ministry days. I was looking for a new way to meet people of different beliefs and backgrounds than my own. So just thought, hey, why don't I just invite them out for coffee, uh, draw their picture, ask them 20 questions, and see what happens. And it led, like I say, uh, many unexpected adventures where I was going camping with them, going on mission trips, you know, disaster relief after hurricanes, and it's fun stuff, teaching them how to play Monopoly for the first time. Uh, there was one time where I took some Chinese students to Washington, D.C., and uh, someone lent me a bus, hmm. and I filled it up with unleaded gas, only to discover that it was a diesel. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, this thing was just blowing out a cloud of smoke, and we ended up pushing it, and it was, it was an adventure. It was unexpected, but uh, a lot of things like that, even even a time where I interviewed a student, and 3 a.m. she called me, and she's contemplating taking her life. And uh, I was surprised that I would be the one she would call, but we were able to save her, her life, and and eventually that girl came to Christ. Wow. And so, actually, I I don't say this in my talk, but out of the 50 people interviewed, um, 25% of those people went on to put their faith in Christ. Oh my goodness. Wow. What would you attribute yeah, that was, to? What, why would you attribute, what would you attribute to the, how those conversations kind of eventually led to people coming to the Lord? Well, I asked very open-ended questions and it was also a one-sided conversation. So they, they were quick to open up about things that were pretty, pretty personal. You know, I'd ask questions like, how do you feel about, uh, you know, when you die, what do you think is going to happen to you? And normally people might cringe at questions like that, but they knew I wasn't going to uh, debate them. They, I wasn't even sharing my opinion. Mm-hmm. I was just listening. And so they were putting into words beliefs that for the very first time, a lot of people just never, never have those kind of talks and articulate their beliefs. And so 20 questions later, when I asked, Hey, are you, would you be interested in meeting up again? You know, 50% of those people said yes. Hmm. And I met with some of them uh, for two years, once wow. a week after that. I was a fourth generation atheist. I met for two years every week. And, you know, 
it drove me deeper into apologetics. I just, they started asking me questions, interviewing me. And so I learned the value of building a cumulative case where instead of, you know, appealing to something like archaeology as you know, sometimes we make too much of an evidence and we say, well, that proves it. And that's, that's a pretty weak argument. Mm-hmm. And then when we realize it doesn't prove it, then we make too little of that evidence by saying, well, last time I ever talked about archaeology or messianic <laughs> right. prophecy. So instead of taking, you know, making too much of it and making too little of it, you, you build a cumulative case and you see, like, well, there's quite a pile of reasons. And um, so, I mean, I just love apologetics. And so those conversations just continued and people started making discoveries wow. right alongside me. So That's fantastic. So that what I find interesting is TEDx entitled your talk on YouTube, Finding Meaning in Daily Acts of Good, but your original title was actually Jesus is Not a Role Model. Can you talk to us a little more mm-hmm. about why you gave the talk that specific title? Um, yeah, so at the actual event at Wiley College, that was the title of my talk. It was in the program. And then when they went to TEDx posted on their, their YouTube channel, you sign a waiver and they, they have the, the right to entitle it whatever they choose. Hmm. So, yeah, when I saw it posted as Finding Meaning in Daily Acts of Good, I, I contacted them. I said, you know, this really doesn't represent my talk. Uh, I never used the phrase Finding Meaning. I hmm. never used the phrase Daily Acts of Good. Hmm. And, you know, would you consider changing it? If you don't like my title, here's four or five alternatives and they were kind of immovable Wow! and didn't really explain why, hmm. but I chose not to kind of fight it because I didn't want them to be exasperated and decide, well, let's not, let's not post it at all. Uh, Cause it was quite a challenge to even get that far. A lot of times TED and TEDx events are by invitation. Hmm. And my approach was to apply I applied at about 40 different events all around the world from Ireland and Australia and Germany. Ended up at one in Texas two hours from my house, which Mm -hmm. was nice. And so I don't know why they they chose that title. But the reason why I chose that title to answer your question is because as I conducted these interviews, I, some of the people, the 50, I mean, they were very diverse. They were college students. They were university professors. One was a Mormon. One was a rabbi. One was a, a Muslim. I interviewed a homeless man, um, a five-year-old. Wow. I interviewed uh, a lot of student presidents of clubs on campus, hmm. the Engineers Without Borders, the Rubber Chickens Drama Club, the Vegetarian Club, wow. um, Haven, which was the LGBTQ club. And so it was really fun and diverse, but many, oh, maybe, I don't know, seven or eight of the people I interviewed were ex-former Christians. And there was a few practicing Christians, but predominantly non-Christian interviews. 
But yeah, a lot of them uh, had an understanding of Christianity, maybe a childhood one. And so I'd ask questions like, what comes to mind when you think about Jesus? Hmm. And I was surprised at how much they could tell me, you know, born of a virgin, at least that's the claim, um, fulfiller of prophecies, performer of miracles, they'd tell me about Easter and Christmas. And then when I'd ask those same people, on what basis do you believe God will or will not accept you into heaven? Almost everybody said our acceptance in heaven depends on our performance on earth. Mm. And that was Christians included. Wow. So I just kept discovering, you know, I'd start these conversations outside my official 50 interviews and just all over the place, no matter what Christian denomination people were from, these church-going people were answering the same way. Mm. And so I went looking to find some nationwide studies. I came across the Barna Group, and they asked a bunch of Christians, thousands of Christians, um, do you agree with this statement? If a person's generally good, right. you do enough good things for others, you'll earn a place in heaven. And almost 50% of the Christians in the United States agreed with that statement uh, strongly or somewhat. Yeah, man, that's really helpful, Tyler. That That is really encouraging and to hear the difference it's been making. We're really thankful that you joined us today. Really fast, how can people find you, Twitter, Facebook, however? How can they connect with you? Sure. The TylerEllis.com, my website. Uh, I'm a speaker. And then on Twitter, the Tyler Ellis. Awesome. Tyler, thank you so much. This was great. We're really uh, grateful for you joining us and have a great Christmas. Thanks, man. You bet. Have thank good, you, guys. Have okay. a good one. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life with Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. And if you listen to our podcast last week, you heard, or the week before, you heard us talking to Todd Chapman and Paul Jacobs from an organization that we here at 1160 uh, believe very much in. That organization is called Food for the Poor. And what Food for the Poor does, specifically, they are trying to do uh, a really powerful work in the nation of Haiti, which is which is facing just an unbelievable humanitarian crisis right now. And through Food for the Poor, uh, through the donations of people, they are able to provide food for a year and water for life. So for example, for $27 a month, that's just $320 for the year. That's less than a dollar a day. That will provide food for a year and water for life for one family of four in Haiti. You are literally saving a family. For $640 or $54 a month, you can do it for two families and you can do the math, but you can really give whatever it is you want to give to whatever level it is that you want to give. So here's how you do that. Call 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-4673. Or go online to 1160hope.com. And there you can just click on the banner and it's really fast and you can give whatever amount you want to give. Here at AM 1160, over the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to uh, provide food for a year and water for life for 36 families, and we are really close. 
So we're asking you to help us get that across the finish line uh, through Food for the Poor to help with the humanitarian crisis. What a better thing you can't do. Uh, I can't think of a better thing you could do at this Christmas time uh, with your family. Explain to your kids what you're doing. Uh, do it even in their name and, and allow your kids to begin to see that. Uh, and I think uh, that would be really powerful. So that's 855-901-4673 or go online to 1160hope.com and there you could give to food for the poor. Well, today we've been talking a lot, it feels like, a bunch of different articles about healthy social media, particularly with our kids, but also with ourselves. I didn't tell you this, but I'm, I'm actually considering taking a break from social media in the new year really? just for my own soul. Like It's not like a terrible thing, but sometimes I feel like I'm too tied to it. Yeah. Um, and and just like, like almost like a cleanse. Like, let's do that. It's funny because you're not really active on social media no. so you're like taking in the information but you're not really posting or commenting a yeah, whole lot it's very true and i feel like i'm increasingly not posting but also present on twitter like just reading it and like yeah it worries me that sometimes i'll be doing work and i'll find myself click on the twitter button without even thinking about it hmm. and i'm like huh why, why did i just, why did I just do that that's nothing to like, do with what i'm doing it's like this mind thing like almost like all right i can kind of shut my mind down a little bit now or yeah. whatever so uh, so my point being, this isn't just about your kids, although hopefully we've highlighted today that it's really important to have these conversations with your kids. Yeah. But again, at the Gospel Coalition, they wrote this article, Six Ways to Foster Healthy Social Media Habits. Mm. So if you're going to be on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever else it might be, uh, MySpace, we want to help you. <laughs> we want to give you some tools that says, you know what, I'm having a healthy interaction with social media. And again, you may agree, you may disagree with this list. Uh, we would love your feedback because we as a community here, uh, a common good community, we want to grow in our ability to use and handle social media well. And so this is six ways to foster healthy social media habits. Why don't you go first? Well, I like how it starts, too. It says uh, it's fashionable to lament the state of social media. Social media is addictive. (laughs) You did, right? Not to (laughs) highlight that immediately. Uh, It's been linked to depressive symptoms. It can uh, atrophy your ability to focus. It's often a petri dish for tribalism and a playground for trolls. That's definitely true. (laughs) I've heard all of this. At the same time, I've formed all sorts of relationships and learned all sorts of things Mm. through one social platform or another. You and I, a lot of what we do on the show, we are kind of finding or engaging with on social media. So that's kind of the context. This person is saying, hey, throwing it out the window might be helpful for you, but it might actually be helpful to have, you know, some healthy habits. So six ways to foster healthy social media habits. Number one, consider the location of your devices. Mm. I don't keep my phone at my bedside for years. I told myself it was necessary because I used my phone as an alarm clock. I think probably a lot of us do that. And because I had a white noise app I used during the night, in reality, though, I was addicted to information and the alarm was merely a justification. As it turns out, a $5 alarm clock and a $10 noise machine are equally effective. And when you put the clock on the other side of the room, uh, you won't hit the snooze button. So I think that's, that's uh, a good one. It's a common one, but it's a, it's a good reminder. Yep. Number two, design healthy routines. Most days I don't look at my phone until I've had time in scripture and often until after I've had a workout of some kind. Wow, that's impressive. In the past, I've most always checked email or Twitter within seconds of waking up. I can think of few ways 
uh, to start one day's more foolishly. For one, it feels like starting the day with an acid bath. More importantly, it revealed a minor league messiah complex in my own heart, as mm. if sleep was forcing me to miss out on really important things. Right. Starting the day with scripture and prayer locates me in communion with God before communication with the world. Working out is helpful to me because the adrenaline rush makes me more alert and engaged. For many, caffeine may be preferable to cardio, but what's most important is that you're thoughtful about your routines, that they honor God, and that they serve your best interests. That's pretty good. Let's go. All right, number three, control what you consume. Parenthetically, easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Be ruthless with whom you follow and what you consume. For example, I never look at my main Twitter feed. The grifter and garbage factor is so high and so unpredictable, I've learned it just isn't good for my soul. Instead, I only access Twitter through lists I've created. That doesn't mean I only follow people I like, echo chambers, and are destructive. I follow all sorts of people I disagree with since I need to be challenged. I follow some whose arguments I find reprehensible. It may be necessary for me to know what they say. Point is... I seek these things out on my terms and my timelines. The time you spend designing your inputs and constructing well-rounded, well-curated lists will have huge returns. I've heard this one a bunch of times. Have you? I don't utilize lists Me at either. all, but I've been challenged. I need so. to learn how to do that. That's yeah. interesting. Number four, resist the urge to pile on. An over yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, okay. An overwhelming percentage of posts in the social media universe are ephemeral uh, non-controversies. Uh, many are unprofitable, not only to engage, but to consume. Uh, and yet, venting outrage has become a twisted sort of national pastime. For those of us in Christ, it's worth noting that this, his ministry was not characterized by a drive to, quote, own the Sadducees or dunk on the Pharisees. <laughs> Dismissing trivial arguments and entrapment questions, he pointed them to the gospel. It's all too easy, though, to be entertained by social media blood sport. Much of it is closer to ancient co uh, Colosseum entertainment than we might like to admit. Instead, we ought to remember Paul's words and Paul's admonition to dwell on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. Yeah, I could use a little more of that in my life. Yeah. All right, number five, develop rituals that show what's important. I want to make sure my children know they are far more important than whatever's on my phone. So my wife and I have instituted some little rules, such as not having a phone at the dinner table. Mm. I've also done other things like making a little game where the kids compete for the right to push the moon button, the, ah. <laughs> the iOS do not disturb button on my phone before dinner. I want my friends and family to remember me looking intently at them, not mm. down at a screen. Mm. Somebody called me out the other day in a meeting saying that I, I have a tendency to just quickly look at my phone oh, like in a, a coffee glance. meeting. And yep. I'm like, oh, it is hard when you hear it ding. You're like, Poom. that's why it's always a mute for that's me. That's good. That's good. Number six, uh, serve more than you signal. I realize some of you, ha some have to use Twitter to deliver public statements and offer thoughts, often representing large constituencies to the world. Many others don't have that responsibility, but would like it. They use Twitter to assume such a mantle. Hmm. There's certainly a time and a place for everyone to speak out and engage, but I think it's much healthier to use social media primarily to add value to your followers' lives in the form of creating content, pointing to edifying material, or deliberately encouraging people. Hmm. It may be worth a periodic review of your feed to ask yourself whether your post serve your followers at least as often as they signal to your tribe. That's a good one. Yeah, so it ends by saying much more could be offered here and different ideas could be suggested. My aim is to simply ask a question. Are you using social media uncritically or strategically? Social media can be a helpful tool, but it must be wielded carefully 
to avoid its dangers. As Christians, let's engage fruitfully rather than furiously. That'll preach. It's uh, it's better for the world and it's better for your soul. What I appreciate about this is that it doesn't hop on like the very common Christian trope of like social media bad. Yes. Read your Bible more and give to the poor or whatever. Like it's <laughs> it, it, it can tend to be really highly reductionistic yes. and he's kind of owning like, hey, some of you have responsibilities to yeah. communicate information, to create content. What if we were just more strategic about those things? I think it's really good. So we'd love to know what you think about that list. You can find it on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. And speaking of using the Internet for good, we are <laughs> going to do that next as our uh, producers have found crazy stories, <laughs> interweb insanity, crazy stories that they found on the Internet. We are going to read and react to those with you. Coming up next here on the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Hello. (laughs) We are glad that you've joined us today. Uh, We always end the show the same way. Crazy interweb insanity, crazy stories. (laughs) Whether we should or not. Nope. Uh, Some of these have walked the edge lately, but we just power through them. But they come from PJ, our producer, or Keith Conrad, our executive producer. Uh, we read these sight unseen. We laugh with you. We cry with you. We are, we are hurt with you when you are hurt by We've them. We've never actually cried, to be honest. I feel like you and Internally. I both said this. Not even that. Have we? Nope. Have we gotten one that's even close? I feel like today's the day. Feels. <laughs> you are a betting man. I could just... I can feel it. Our producer is shaking his head yes, like he knows something oh, we don't know. He d- most certainly. <laughs> oh, so now it's full-fledged coming at you. Right, well, we're going to guess which one that was. You go first. Uh, India. Bangalore. Dummies in police uniforms control city traffic. Oh, awesome. Mannequins dressed up as traffic police have been placed on roads in the southern city of Bangalore. Dressed in police caps, white shirts, and brown trousers, and wearing sunglasses, the mannequins are now on duty at congested junctions. It's uh, hoped drivers will have mistaken them for real police and think twice about breaking the rules of the road. I can't really make fun of this, by the way, because we do that with police cars here all the time. Yes. Just placed in various places on the road. Uh, home to India's IT industry, Bangalore has 8 million registered vehicles on its streets. The number is expected to grow to more than 10 million by 2022. I work with cops, right? Mm-hmm. And when I go out, I see Marianne. Her father's a cop. Her brother's a cop. Her uncle's a cop. I got a feeling she's a cop, too. <laughs> cops. Police officers. (laughs) Next one's out of Arizona. Prescott Valley man registers beehive as service animal. Oh, gosh. David Keller isn't a beekeeper, and he's never owned any bees. But when he wanted to prove a point last month, he registered a beehive as a service animal. Odd point to be trying to make. Yeah, that's super weird. A lot of people thought it was hilarious, and a lot of people were getting upset, he said, explaining that the whole thing started after he saw what appeared to be a service dog misbehaving. I could very easily tell that it was not a service animal because it was pulling the owner to the parking lot. Huh. So he decided to take a, sta- take a stand. Again, a weird stand here. <laughs> I was thinking that it's just too easy to get these animals to be service animals. He went to the site uh, called USA Service Dog Registra- and successfully registered the picture of the beehive as a service animal. Yeah, I really, really, really like bees. I really, really think you're making this up as you go. <laughs> I have no idea what that's even from. This might be the one coming. This might be it. Uh, it says, okay, so typically it's giving like a city and state. This yep. one says online, yikes. Uh-huh. Oh, why did I get this one? <laughs> a first person Jesus Christ video game will allow players to walk on water and experience crucifixion. Mm. I did actually see this. Did you see this? I did see this. This is probably the one. Why can't the Bible be the inspiration for a video game? That's the question answered by I Am Jesus Christ, a simulation that literally makes... 
the player God. This is problematic. Yep. Coming soon on Steam. That's a metaphor for something. The game's trailer has already <laughs> peaked interest online thanks to its surreal subject matter and enticingly bizarre cutscenes. In uh, in one, the player conjures some fish, depleted a bar that apparently correlates to Jesus' holy abilities. The game's description on Steam raises more questions than it provides answers. There are no other credits listed on Steam for the game's developer, but the publisher has made plenty of simulation games its apparent speciality. Was that wrong? <laughs> Should I not have done that? Yeah, that one. That one. I, That's probably it, the yikes yeah, one. That was here he, on the common good he on eleven sixty. He gave me the yes to that mm-hmm. one. He okay, did. well, my back's to him. Next one's Alaska. Here's a good feel-good story. Uh, a five-year-old carried a toddler half a mile in Alaska terrain after being left home alone. The inc- Kevin McCollister. The incident took place Tuesday when the temperature in Venati, Alaska, was minus thirty-one degrees. According to a dispatch from the state's Department of Public Safety, uh, Venati is in the northeastern section of Alaska. The children arrived in a neighbor's house, home with cold injuries. The five-year-old got scared when the power went out and carried the toddler about half a mile while wearing, oh, only socks and light clothing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Julie Peter, age 37, was charged with endangering the welfare of a minor in the first degree. What blizzard? It's a couple of flights. When I said that was a feel-good story, I didn't mean the fact that the kids were left it didn't in the actually cold. feel good, right. The five-year-old carrying the toddler was the one. I'd also like to offer a correction. I said Kevin McCollister back there. I know it's Kevin McAllister, but I had the word Macaulay also in my head. Oh, so Macaulay Culkin. Okay. McCollister was born. Okay. And that's no excuse. No excuse. I speak for a living. I should be able to get Kevin McAllister Before around, you read this last one, did you know I listened to a uh, conspiracy theory thing the other day hmm. that one of the conspiracy theories that Elvis is still alive is that he is in the background prominently shown in Home Alone. I have not heard of that. Did you know? I didn't. I learned that in a podcast the other day. That means nothing. The movie's also 30 years old. Yes. So, yes. so I mean, even if he wasn't, was he alive still be. at that time. Oh, yes. interesting. I just watched a documentary on the making of Home Alone. That's, oh, a, tr- that's, awesome. that's a true story. Me listening to a podcast of conspiracy <laughs> theories and you watching a, 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 a why am I drunk? <laughs> documentary. My brain stopped working. <laughs> <laughs> Read the last We're one. We're never going to make it through it. Nevada or Nevada. Las Vegas Animal Rescue hopes to safely remove tiny cowboy hats from pigeon heads. I saw this one, too, actually. A video of pigeons wearing small red cowboy hats is going viral in the Las Vegas Valley. The man who shot the video said it was taken near Tropicana Avenue and Maryland Parkway. At first, I was like, oh, my, that's cute, Mariah. Mariah Hillman said. Then I was like, wait a minute. How did I get those hats on there? Hillman runs an animal rescue called Lofty Hopes. Their slogan is a pigeon-positive movement. Okay. The organization has nursed dozens of injured pigeons back to health in Las Vegas Valley. Hillman said they're concerned about how the hats could negatively impact the pigeons. Reach for the sky! Oh, because of the cowboy hat. Not the pigeons, that makes sense. Last I read, though, they have no idea how those hats actually got on the pigeons' heads. Maybe the pigeons are doing it. (laughs) I... Doubt that, but that'd be a Christmas miracle. Hey, listen to us tomorrow. I'm going to try to do better. I feel like my brain just shut same, off during the last Same here. Segment. Same here. <laughs> That's our segment. That's our line. Doing better tomorrow. <laughs> trying, us. trying our best. Exactly. Join us from 4 to 6. Free and Simpkins. I'm Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life.